What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined once again by my friend and co-host, Christopher Weber Schwebzy. How are we doing today? Hi, friends. We're doing good. Uh, unlike your computers, like we, we've had some major <laughs> technical difficulties to get this uh, to get this episode out to you guys this week. Yeah, we have a little bit of a delay and it's like the holiday weekend. It's weird, but things have actually worked out kind of nicely. It's all right. Things are good. And I have a new power supply in my computer. So it's fantastic. We got everything fixed. Thank goodness nothing else got broken in that process. I'm just glad that I didn't mess anything up while I was installing it. So, I mean, all good on my end now. Uh, and now we're if here. only if only you you knew someone who was in tech support and uh, could could have helped. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, can't really think of anyone. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it I mean, escapes either. me. No, it's. I mean, I have plenty of friends that have built now their own rigs, including you, obviously, renowned mid-sized, actually, medium streamer, uh, Twitch streamer, medium Schwebzy. Medium Schwebzy. That's what they all call me. That's all the cool kids on <laughs> Roblox call you. Yeah, that's what more you stream of, right? It's Ro- Roblox. Guy. <laughs> you're, you're a Yu-Gi-Oh guy. All Yu-Gi-Oh, all the time. I, you you kind of struck me more as a Beyblade guy, but I don't know. That's just me. Anyways, <laughs> you but, know, way more kids toys than I do. It's because I worked in a board game store and like a toy store. So I, I had to. It's part of my job. I've had many jobs in my life, including podcasting here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Speaking of which, <laughs> if you want to follow us uh, here at In the Deep and know when we're going live to do our usual Sunday streams, which sadly this week we couldn't do because of my dumb technical issues, uh, or just want to hear some of our takes on different fantasy baseball stuff, feel free to follow us at, on our Twitter page at InTheDeepPL. Or if you want to hear what each of us has to say individually, you can follow Schwebzi over at his namesake, that is S-H-W-E-B-S-I, or myself at Bunt Singles. Also, something that we haven't really brought up in a while is that we do have an email for mailbag questions. So if you want to send those our way, obviously you can just tweet them at us. Or if email's more your thing, feel free to email us at inthedeeppl at gmail.com. Totally forgot we, that that even existed for a hot minute. I'll we have honest. an email? We do have an email. It's it's incre- It's very possible that we've been getting emails and people have been asking us questions and we just have been completely ignoring them. If we have, I'm sorry. I swear I'm going to check it. I promise. We're going to be better about that. We do want to get more uh, Twitter questions and uh, email questions hopefully coming in so that way we can give you some like real-time advice. Also, it's really nice if you do watch the stream on Sunday nights when we're prepping and recording the episode, it's a really good time to throw some questions in there if you want them answered. So feel free to join us there as well. Again, that's on Schwebzy's Twitch channel, twitch.tv backslash Schwebzy, which I spelled earlier. And you should know it by now, obviously. I shouldn't need to spell it for you anymore. But people people love throwing a C in between the S and the H. I don't know why. I can see how that's a common mistake cuz like last names like Schrader. Yeah, S-C-H yeah, I guess. Sort of thing. Schaefer. Like, exactly. Stuff like that. So I mean it's it's old habits die hard, you know. But uh, it, it it makes me feel like there should be like a like a schwebzy and but yeah. What is that? Like a like a throat clearing noise, a hissing noise, like a Hanukkah, like like that kind of thing. Hanukkah. Yes. I'm d- I'm just trying to appall all of our listeners with the complete oh opposite of ASMR <laughs> by by clearing my throat into the microphone, just directly loudly. into into the mic as loud as you can, just driving that awful sound directly into your blue <laughs> yeti. Oh no! Oh god! No, <laughs> that sounds like some sort of creature from a D and D campaign that I fought once, but. 
Uh, we're not here to talk about D&D and scary monsters and Schwebsy's odd throat clearing noises. We're here to talk about a baseball like we always do. Uh, Schwebsy, let's kick it off. Let's talk about Trevor Larnock. So he got called up a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been a little bit curious about him in certain leagues so far. In his last 10 games, he's only hitting 194, which clearly on its face, not great. Not great at all, but he does have three home runs with four runs and seven RBIs during that time. So that's at least somewhat encouraging. Uh, He's never going to steal you any bases, really. He's not a speed guy at all, and he's not really a great fielder either. Uh, And he doesn't have a great spot in the lineup necessarily. So why am I even bringing him up right now? Obviously, like if you're in a redraft league, you may or may not want him, but why would you want him? Well, it's if you're in a non-base percentage league. If you're in an OBP league, you definitely want Trevor Larnock on your roster, especially in those deep OBP leagues. He's putting up a 405 on base percentage in his last 10 games, and that's bolstered by a 21.4% walk rate over that span that pushed his overall walk rate since his May 8th debut to 16.7%, which is fantastic. Um, Shrubsy, have you gotten a chance to watch any of Larnock? Uh, You know... You know I love a guy with good plate discipline. Oh, we love it. We do. Ladies love and Schwebzy love a love players with good plate discipline. <laughs> no, I, I haven't I, I haven't actually, you know, watched any video of him, but obviously, you know, I've been following his progress with the with the stats. And uh yeah, I mean a a sixteen point seven walk rate does not lie. That that is really nice. And he's got a grandal esque stretch that he's going through right now where he's got an awful average, but he's getting on base a ton, which is fantastic. But I will say that I do want to dump just like a little bit of cold water on Larnock, because the plate discipline metrics don't exactly line up with his results so far. So according to fangraphs, I was looking at it earlier, Larnock has a contact rate of sixty-five point four percent, which is nearly 10 full points below league average, which explains why his average has been so poor so far. Uh, He also hasn't really been thrown that many strikes. He's only been seeing a zone rate of around 35.1% with the pitches that he's been thrown. And that's like a full seven points below league average as well. So people just really aren't throwing him strikes at the end of the day. Um, He's also below league average in a few other play discipline metrics like uh, zone contact and his uh, swinging strike rate. So pitchers just really haven't been pounding the zone against him enough to get him out, I think is what it comes down to. So he's been getting a little bit of help there. Um, That said, I kind of want to trend back towards the positive on this. Good on base skills are kind of what we know about Larnock. Like He's always been a very patient hitter and has put up really stellar walk rates throughout pretty much every level of the minors on his way to Minnesota. And he's got a ton of raw power. Um, he still has a ton of runway too to develop that hit tool and kind of get more out of his raw power and translate that to the game power. Uh, along with that, like just his ability to get on base, he's eventually, I feel like in the next couple of years, he's going to work himself into a premier lineup spot there in Minnesota. So he should have more run scoring upside as well. I hope. Um, yeah. I mean, we we've seen with other really high OBP players that you don't necessarily need to be the best hitter in the world to get a prime lineup spot case in point uh one of my uh former large adult children brandon nimmo not the yes. best hitter he's like a 250 hitter at best but that plate discipline gets him into the leadoff spot he also gets to first base very quickly very quickly <laughs> I, I, th- I think his home to first time 
might be the fastest on average in the league because he sprints so fast on walks. I would bet that Nimmo gets to first base faster on a walk than like Albert Pujols does on a grounder to the shortstop hole. So, okay. I think that Brandon Nimmo's home to first time is fast. Or sorry. How do I say this correctly? I'm trying to think of a, I was, I was going to say a joke, but it didn't work at all. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think that his home to second time on a double is probably faster than Pujols is home to first time when he's trying to leg out an infield single. Yeah, probably. But um, I don't know, like a lot of, and okay, kind of going back to Larnock, like unlike a lot of younger boomer bus power hitters, even if pitchers start challenging him more and his K percentage swells to like nearly 30%, he's still going to grind out value by getting on base at a higher than an average clip and provide you that power from time to time. And I don't know, it's not like an ideal time because Trevor Larnock just got called up pretty recently. It's not really a buy low, quote unquote situation but i would be fine chasing larnock and trying to trade for him in like a 12 plus team dynasty and keeper league that takes into account obp over average because it really is just i think like by next year you're going to see him hitting like fourth fifth in that lineup yeah no i could absolutely see it like the the outfield of the future there is probably larnock kirillov buxton yeah as long as buxton buxton can stay healthy obviously like please uh, just i just want one full season of Byron Buxton, not even just as like a fantasy baseball player, but as someone who just likes baseball in general. He's just so damn fun to watch. The outfield of the future is Kirilov, Ref Snyder, Larnock, and the injured list of the future is Byron Buxton. Uh, Ref Snyder actually hasn't been bad, I will say. He's been did you very... see him? Did you see him run right into the wall today, not realizing that there is a wall in the outfield? Can I be honest? I've done that before. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot there's a wall in center field also. Because that was an was that an away game for them? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I get not understanding like the dimensions of an away stadium, because like I remember back in high school there was one time where we were playing at a park that base instead of so this was a it was a JV game, and we had instead of an actual outfield fence we were playing on like the quote unquote B field that just had like it's like it's like a snow fence that you put up so there's stakes in the ground with like orange like netting it looks like essentially. And yeah. I just remember going like head over heels trying to chase down a fly ball because the fence was only like 290 feet in right field. And I was playing right at that time. So I went straight backwards and I ran into it and went just like head over heels flipping over the fence and made the fence fall down. So they had to stop the game to actually drive the stakes back into the ground. Just, oh God. So, I mean, you know what it might have been? Uh, it's It's Memorial Day. So it could have been just all the camouflage around throwing him off. Might have just never seen the wall coming. That makes a lot of sense, actually. He couldn't see where he was going because he couldn't see himself because he was wearing the camouflage. That's what it was. There we go. (laughs) God. Uh, But yeah, anyways, to wrap up on Larnock, just, I mean, he's a good future value play. If you can get him in a keeper league, obviously, if you have enough keepers, I don't know if his playing time situation is going to change once Luis Arias comes back or what, but it's worth keeping an eye on there as well. But future value, I definitely want Larnock in a ton of my OBP leagues. Uh, let's move on to Brendan Rogers. Uh, Schwebzy, take it away. All right. I know we've talked about this before with other players like uh, Josh Fuentes. Yes. Uh, opportunity plus Coors Field generally means that that's a player that you want to buy. And that's what we have here. 
Brendan Rodgers was a very popular sleeper over the offseason before getting hurt, and now he's not hurt, while Trevor Story is hurt. Why is he a popular sleeper, though? It feels like we've been hearing about Brendan Rodgers for absolutely forever, and he has yet to actually do anything in the majors. So back when he was still eligible for prospect lists, Fangraphs tagged him with a 60 future hit grade and a 60 future power grade, in-game power. So that's the same grades that prospects like Jared Kelenic have, Alex Kirilov, you know, elite hitting prospects. So as far as the bat is concerned, you could see why people would be excited once that kind of hitting talent gets introduced to Coors Field. Say real quick too, is like when you told me that, I was very surprised because I mean, I have Brendan Rogers on a couple different teams right now that I stashed him away while he was on the IL because I had deep enough rosters, obviously, and everyone's been hurt this year. Um, I was shocked that his future grades were that good and I didn't realize it. So I don't actually think he's a, he, he might have that kind of power. I don't actually think he's a 60 hit tool guy, but it's going to play up in that field. True. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, as I just said, it's not all rosy uh, in his brief exposure to the major leagues so far, he's been really, really bad. Uh, he's got a career 195 batting average with basically no power to speak of. He's only got three extra base hits in what is uh, effectively like two months of, of uh, game time, 131 plate appearances. And he's got a 30.5 career K percentage to boot. It, it's uh, It hasn't been good. So we're betting on two things here. The prospect pedigree that tells us he's a much better player than he's shown so far. And that the hitter's haven that is Coors Field is it, it just... You know, it's it's the rising tide that raises all ships. It's just being at that park is going to help him. Extended opportunities have been rare for Rodgers as he plays for the most confused and confusing of organizations. Uh, they'd rather give plate appearances to like Ian Desmond than their prospects. Yeah. But the good news there, we've got a new GM and the team stinks. So there's no reason not to play the kids anymore. And as mentioned earlier, there's plenty of injuries that should allow Rodgers to get some extended run. Yeah, especially like you mentioned earlier, the Trevor Story injury. Obviously, this is a huge impact in regards to the opportunities that Rodgers is going to get. I expect him to see a ton of playing time the next few weeks at least. Um, And I'm excited for it, obviously, because I want to see if he can contribute, especially in an area that I have not had a lot of luck in, which has been – because he he steals some bases, not a ton. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But – I'm happy to have any sort of help there that I can get in any of my leagues. Um, so Schwabzi, what kind of leagues are you targeting Rogers in? Honestly, I'm, I'm so I, I have a waiver claim in for him right at this moment in my NL only league, anything NL only it's, it's an immediate ad for me. And I think I, I, if he hits like prospect evaluators thought he would, he could be a 12 team viable, but I think anything deeper than that at this moment is where I'd be looking for him. Your 14, 16 teams, uh, anything dynasty. I doubt he's on the wire, but in a dynasty league, I'd be going for him hard. And and this also might be a time because like you said, he's had such poor performance in the majors. Like this is probably going to be in theory, the best buy low time if he does eventually break out. Right. Um, Yeah. Now's probably a good time to grab him. uh, OBP is on my mind after you talked about Larnack. Uh, That is not Brendan Rogers. (laughs) <laughs> he's uh he's not really uh, an OBP guy. Yeah, good enough. Uh totally agree with you. I mean, I'm excited for Rogers to get some opportunities here and hopefully settle in and kind of find a groove. Uh and like you said, 
Coors Field is just such a great field to get ex- extra base hits on. I don't think that that's necessarily going to like his his current uh track record so far. I don't think that's going to hold up. I think he's going to find a little bit of a groove here, hopefully at some point. So excited for Brendan Rogers to get his opportunity. Uh, someone else that's been getting an opportunity recently after getting called up was Edward Olivares, which we're not going to spend a ton of time on Olivares. Uh, one, a lot of folks in the fantasy community have already thrown out their two cents on him. And like, he's got a decent amount of power and speed, not going to overwhelm you with either necessarily. Uh, he did steal like, what was it like 35 bases a couple years ago in double a, mm-hmm. um, but he's only played two games so far. I will say in those two games, he's three for eight with a stolen base and two runs, which is pretty good. Um, but the sample size is still pretty small to go along with that. Jorge Soler is hurt and he's also been very bad this year. So he might get a little bit of a run here. Olivares, if he's out there for you and you really, really need the help in the outfield, then I'd be fine taking a flyer on him. But I'm mostly only looking at him in pretty much like 15 plus team leagues at this point. Yeah, I could see that. You know, I was just thinking that I I wanted to compare him like his offensive profile to like a a Joey Wendell with like a a decent batting average, middling power, middling speed, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But Joey Wendell has been too good. I don't think he can be the I don't think he can be the unofficial mascot of in the deep anymore. Wendell's been awesome this year. Wendell actually has been pretty dope. I've ha- I have he's too I, good for us now. He he's a little bit too good for us. He 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 graduated as we as we typically say here past that twenty percent threshold because we did talk about him at the beginning of the year. I'm pretty sure, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He was still below that twenty percent threshold, but now he's got to be well, well, well above that. Um, Someone else that's also approaching that uh, 20% threshold, someone that is now, because he was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers recently, near and dear to my heart, uh, Willie Adamas. Uh, Shelly had a really good take uh, on Adamas. Uh, Schwebs, you have that up somewhere. I forgot to pull that up here. Can you read that? Yes. So direct quote from uh, uh, Pitcherlist's own Shelly Vergstrat. Vergstrat, sorry. Uh, Willie Adamas is only hitting... 333, 429, 500 slash line since becoming a brewer. He always said he had trouble seeing at the trop. And that is exactly what we are seeing right now. Uh, we In the last like three years since 2019 started, Willie Adames' splits have been abysmal for home games. Like away, he's been like, he's been good. He's been fine away. And then as soon as he gets back to the trop, he just can't hit to save his life. So yeah. now he's in the friendly confines, the, the warm embrace of the Anfam clam. <laughs> That's gross. He's, he's, uh, he, you don't, okay. It didn't have to be gross until you made it gross. He's the pearl of the Anfam clam. That's a, that's a much better way of putting it. You got it. So yeah, like we talked about him last week. Uh, we, we did a bit of a dive onto the Adamas trade because it, it, we thought it could have fantasy implications and it has, and it's had even more than we expected. Yeah. It's uh, gonna be, we're going to talk a little bit more about it later too. We have another person that we're going to bring up later in the episode that, I mean, I, I didn't expect this much of an impact from the other person that we're going to talk about, but yeah, moving on. Uh, sorry, Schwabzy, not to interrupt. Yeah, no, it, it wound up having major deep league implications because Adamas has been awesome. He's already got a couple dingers in the, in the 10 games since he joined the brew crew. He's got nine RBIs in those 10 games. And uh, Jordan is in love. I, I hear he's meshing really well with the culture over there. That's the thing. Like I already see him 
like after the walk off that happened today, uh, Luis Urias hit a ground rule double to walk off today's game. He was already out there running with a giant thing of Gatorade, dumping it on his head. He also got a lot of guidance about Milwaukee in general and just was told how much he was going to like it by someone that was a huge mentor to him, which is Carlos Gomez, who was a former longtime brewer who got traded to the Rays. Um, And he just seems like a really, really good culture fit for the team. And that makes me really, really happy because it seems like he's having fun playing in Milwaukee. So that makes me happy as a Brewer fan that he's enjoying the city and enjoying the team. But yeah, anyways. And he seems to fit the uh, the team building vibe that you guys have going on over there, which yes. is flash some leather, hit some dingers. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it is. is you have a lot of guys who strike out a whole, t- a whole bunch, uh, will occasionally hit some dingers and then play just stellar, stellar defense. I mean, that outfield is fantastic right now. And then, I mean, also recalling Keston Hira to come up again, too, is just like icing on the cake. Another guy that he actually, though, his biggest contribution since he came back up, he's laid down two sacrifice bunts in extra. Do you think think if they shipped Hira to Tampa Bay that Hira would ever hit another baseball? If it's that difficult to hit in Tampa Bay, I don't know. Turns out Joey Wendell is actually like a, a baseball god, but he's just been struggling to hit at the at the trop. But yeah, this is uh, this has actually just been a very long victory lap in our in the deep branded <laughs> little tykes pedal car because uh, you know we talked about <laughs> we talked about Adamas last week, and uh, yeah, you absolutely should be picking him up if he's still available in your league. Uh, any league where there's a middle infield spot, yes, absolutely. He, he should be owned. Yeah. He's going to be a great um, pickup. He's going to hit for power, yeah. obviously, if he is truly seeing the ball better. And that was something that really did surprise me, like Shrubsy led with, saying that he's hit better away than he has at home. His splits have always been better away for the past like three years consistently. There's some truth in what Shelley brought up, saying that he never really saw the ball well when he was playing in the trap. So, I mean, I hope that he can thrive in Milwaukee. So. Yeah. Fun fact about Shelly, literally the only guest we've ever had on In the Deep. Truly, truly. We're going to have another one soon, though. Big surprise. Uh, we hope to. We're going to keep that one. We're going to keep that one tightly locked up. This is the person that I was supposed to have as a co-host uh, when Trebsy did his wedding uh, thing. That that marriage thing, I think. They when call I did, it. when I when I did my when I did the marriage, yeah. When I did the marriage, yes. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah. Like Starling um, Castro doing that launch angle. I, I did that marriage. You did that marriage. You did that wedding real good. <laughs> uh, let's move on to someone that I wanted to talk about because I know that some people I saw on Twitter not asking me specifically, but were asking other folks in the community if they should pick him up because he's hot right now. Jonathan Scope. Also another Brewers old friend alert there. Uh, so that's worth noting here. Uh, Scope has had a very similar profile his entire career. He is notoriously streaky. And honestly, the ideal time to pick him up was probably about two weeks ago, I would say. Um, His last 10 games, he's had five multi-hit games, which is fantastic. And he only went hitless in one game in that time. Uh, And the counting stats haven't been super great because he plays for Detroit and that offense is fairly anemic. Um, he has bounced between like second and sixth in that order. So he's finding himself in what should in theory be like good positions to pick up more of those counting stats. Um, so that's a positive. His rolling X Woba chart on baseball savant also supports his hot streak recently. And he's been trending well, well, well above the league average line there. So that's encouraging as well. 
He's also walking at a career high pace, which is not super impressive. It's only 6.9%. But here's where I kind of throw the cold. Yeah, nice. Here's where I throw the cold water on it. It's probably going to trend back downwards towards his career norm as the season rolls along. And it's usually south of 5% because his current plate discipline metrics suggest or suggest that. He's been swinging at pitches out of the zone at a rate that's like seven and a half points higher than the league average. So he's swinging at bad pitches a lot. Um, And that follows him being a guy who has exhibited a swinging strike rate that's well, well above league average literally every single year since he hit the majors. Uh, He's also been consistently below league average in contact rate over that span with this year once again being the exception. And while I think it's typically okay to ride the hot hand in a lot of these cases... Scope is a guy who, if you try to pick him up too late on one of these hot streaks, burn you very, very easily. Uh, hot streak, burn you. <laughs> anyway, uh. Uh, so I personally avoid him for now in all but the very like deepest of leagues because it can really just all go awry with him in a matter of days. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any problem with picking him up if there's a need. I mean, there's always a need right now with, with, yeah. with all the injuries. Like if Trevor Story just got hurt, go ahead and pick up Scope. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you need a filler for now, totally fine. I get it. He's just not someone that's going to be my first choice. You know, like obviously yeah. if you if you if you need a middle infielder, obviously I'd much rather have Willie Adams over Jonathan Scope because I think that in theory was uh, Milwaukee has a better offense in theory. It hasn't really shown so far this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> but do do they? Not not yet. Soon they will. <laughs> Soon they will. Um but yeah. Speak. Okay, we're kind of on a run of middle infielders here. I've come to realize we are. I didn't only, realize we, that we stopped very briefly in the outfield to talk about Edward Olivares, but now let's move on to a former Met, uh, uh, a, a, a Mofa, a Mofa, a Mofa. Mofa. I, I can't remember how to do acronyms. Uh, but yeah, uh, Ahmed Rosario, Schwebzi, take it away. Yeah, and as a Mets fan, let me just preface this by saying I hate it. Schwebzi's in so much pain right now. <laughs> So much pain. So if if your uh, attention span is like mine, uh, like a goldfish, uh, then you won't remember. But Rosario was at one point one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And he absolutely had his moments for the Mets, usually materializing as big second half surges, making fans optimistic for the next year before struggling again the next year. Uh, the talent is there, always has been. And when the Lindor trade happened, I said more than once that I wouldn't be surprised in the least if Rosario, uh, if all he needed was a change of scenery and then he'd eventually be really good for Cleveland because that's what happens when the Mets trade players away. Well, don't look now, but some of the plate discipline changes that Mets fans have been clamoring for for years might finally be happening. Of course they are. Uh, His first pitch swinging percentage is down over 10% from his career average. He's chasing less than ever before, and when he does chase, he's making less contact. And you might say less contact bad, but when you're chasing and not making contact, that's good. Uh, sometimes a swing and a miss is better than uh, you know poor contact. So the result of this is that he's striking out basically at the same rate that he always has, which is a good rate. It's about 20%. That's fine. And he's also walking at an 8.6% rate, which doesn't seem like much, but his previous career best was 4.9%. And in his disastrous 2020, it was a minuscule 2.7%. Literally, when Rosario walked for the first time in 2020, 
the team celebrated. I very vividly remember this moment because they went absolutely nuts on the bench. It was it was an absurd number of plate appearances. I can't remember exactly how many it was, but it was bad. It was a long stretch. Like it was a big deal when he walked. It was that long of a streak. Um, I think there's some more to unlock here as he figures his way around the strike zone as he's still only 25. Like maybe the best news of his recent performance is him remembering that he's incredibly fast, like 97th percentile sprint speed, and he should use that to his advantage. Uh, He has four steals this year after having zero all of last season in roughly the same amount of plate appearances. We've said before here how accumulating stolen bases is largely about intent. So if the intent is back, that is huge for his fantasy value because at his best, he was a 15 home run, 20 stolen base player with a good batting average, and that capability is still there. So I'm absolutely buying this. The 252 average, I, I hope will come up. I don't see it there right now, but uh, it doesn't look like much, but it, it, abs- it actually plays right now with the league batting average being around like 230. That 252 is well above league average. Yeah. So the Indians currently have Andres Jimenez, my uh, a, a more recent large adult son. Uh, they, they have him sitting in the minors and Owen Miller is not looking good in his first major league time. Yeah. So there's no real threat to Rosario's playing time. And there's even the added benefit of his center field trial run, which has gifted fantasy managers with outfield eligibility for Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest draws of this whole thing, too. Well, two things. One, like you said, he's actually stealing bases again, which is super duper important. I mean, that's again, we talk. I, I think I talk about this frequently. I'm very bad at drafting stolen bases a lot of the time uh, when I can find literally anyone off the wire who allows me to accumulate a few extra stolen bases. I'm going to take that. Also, the added eligibility is huge. Being able to toss him at a middle infield position or in the outfield is fantastic in literally any league. So I'm sad about this a little bit, not even, I mean, not as much as you as a Mets fan, but last year I traded for Ahmed Rosario thinking that he was going to be what he was in 2019, which is a guy who hit like 15 home runs and had like 20 stolen bases and hoping that he was going to be that guy. I know at the start of the year, both of us really, really wanted uh, Jimenez to thrive. Yeah, not necessarily, Not necessarily at, you know, Rosario's expense, but we were happy to see Rosario go to the outfield. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this has uh, gone the complete opposite of how we hoped. But uh, yeah, it's go- going good for Rosario. One, one person's trash is another person's treasure at the end of the day. And the trash play that, that <laughs> who's the who's the trash in this metaphor? Unfortunately, it was. Is it us? Okay. Yeah. Are we the trash? Yeah, yeah I think so. I th- well, no, because well, are we anyone's treasure? That's really up for debate too. Mm. So there's actually well, it's funny. There's two things that you can find in the deep of the ocean. There's trash and treasure, right? Hmm. They're like the Titanic of uh, of the, the oh, fantasy no. podcasting world. The reason that I thought of that right there like making that comparison was because this is completely off topic but i just thought about it and it's kind of a cool little fun fact well not a cool fun fact but someone i think it was a i can't remember where the scientist was from but they dove into the third deepest trench in the ocean recently and they found plastic there big sad well i can't believe they're making plastic in the ocean now crazy they're everywhere (laughs) all right 
Um, I think that's it for batters, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, cool. Let's switch over to some arms. So first, I want to talk a little bit about someone that I was early on last year. I bought uh, this guy both in redraft leagues and then also in an auto new league for like a dollar or two, thinking that he might be a steal. Justin Dunn. Um, so I'm going to throw some cold water on this almost immediately uh, and just get mofa. The yeah, that's true. He is a mofa. That is correct. Uh, so he hasn't logged a single quality start the entire season. There's knock number one. Number two, his quote unquote good starts this year have pretty much exclusively been against subpar offensive teams. And his walk rate is still really, really poor on the season. So why have I chosen to talk about him? That's the real question. Well, that walk rate is a little bit, or what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to have to say this again. Skewed. Is misleading. There's the word I'm looking Hmm. for because I'm a good podcaster. Professionals. (laughs) Professionals. Uh, So if y'all remember his first start of the year against the White Sox, he had eight walks, which is, I don't know if you know this, a lot. Um, That's not good. And while he's had a decent number of starts since then to obviously taper that number and get that rate down, it's still a really hefty contributor to his elevated walk rate. Um, He's still walking too many folks overall, but his stuff has actually been pretty good and his whip is only 1.19. So he's still been able to work around those walks and get guys out this season. So according to Baseball Savant, his K rate is up to a career high 23.4%, which is four full points higher than 2020. Um, And if you look at his individual pitch heat maps, he's been doing a really, really good job locating his curveball and slider at the bottom and below the zone. He also this year swapped his slider for the curveball as his preferred secondary offering, which has turned out pretty great because the pitch has returned a 31% CSW on the season, and he's really, really good at throwing it for strikes. Um, He's also increased the spin rate on all of his offerings, some like 150 RPMs, which adds to the effectiveness overall of his arsenal. So that's exciting. Um, Overall, lots of the peripheral data shows that he's been improving, though the only thing that I wish he would do more is elevate the fastball a bit because it's really sitting belt high most of the time and that's not necessarily great um i'm still kind of hesitant to throw him out there against elite offenses because if he walks some people and gives up a single home run he can get hurt very very easily but he's becoming one of my favorite streaming picks so far and the good news is that his next two starts he faces the angels sans mike trout obviously and then he gets to go up against a subpar cleveland offense after that and that's two fairly reasonable streams that I would take a chance on. Obviously, if you're a bit more conservative, you could probably skip the Los Angeles one, but definitely start him uh, when he plays against Cleveland on the 11th of June. Yeah, we love a good streamer pick. Uh, so I uh, I, I have... I, I, I feel like there's like shades of Kikuchi here. It's not the same because Kikuchi debuted like an elite pitch out of nowhere. But we did see like all, all the spin rates go up uh, after some time with the Seattle organization. So I, I I don't know that Seattle is really like a developmental powerhouse like Cleveland or Tampa Bay. But we are seeing some interesting things out of the pitchers that arrive there. That's actually true. I mean, another thing too, I know that this is like maybe not a huge thing for some people. But if you believe in this sort of thing, like he changed his diet over the offseason, found it like he found it. He was allergic to certain foods and changed that. And he feels just like healthier in general this year. So I think there's also something to the. 
like the look good, feel good, play good sort of mentality behind that as well. Like if you take care of yourself in other areas, you can perform better on the field. So also just a very small thing that might contribute to his success this year too. I would really explain my, my uh, downhill uh, trend with podcasting. <laughs> um, so moving on to uh, a guy that we talked about last week. Yes. Uh, apparently this is like a week of victory laps because uh, we talked about Tariq Skubal last week as I climbed back into my little tykes in the deep branded little tykes pedal car. We got to be really uh, careful because you know what? If we're going to run out of gas soon. Yeah. Well, you're, pedal, you're, pedal car. Oh no, it's, it's gas powered. We don't actually do any real it's work. Gas <laughs> I do. It's like the Flintstones. I just, I just use my feet. Um, so in Scuba's last three starts, which includes the one that uh, we suggested that he be picked up for, we're looking at 16.1 innings, 26 strikeouts, a 2.25 ERA, and a 1.19 whip. Whip's a little high, but that'll play. We mentioned last week that Scooble was a bench or a drop for the second start of the week against the Yankees. Whoops. And oh my God, were we wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. Jeez. Scooble dominated the Yankees to the tune of eight strikeouts in six scoreless innings prompting pitcher list unpaid intern Nick Pollock to have Scooble headline that night's starting pitcher roundup. I dare you to call him that to his face <laughs> the next time I, I, we're I, hanging out with him in in, uh, in the Discord. No, really, I'm, I'm just hoping that either Yancey listens to this and then DMs him or <laughs> that he listens to it himself and then DMs me. We've been over this. Nick doesn't actually listen to any of the podcasts. That's what he has. That's what he has Yance for. Yance listens for him. That's true. It's like a it's like a food taster. That's why they have an yeah. hour long conversation each day, is because it's just Yancey reporting back on everything that we say that is completely messed up on the podcasts. It's like instead of testing for poison, we've got Yancey testing for me talking smack about Nick Pollock. <laughs> I would never. No. But <laughs> wink. So the question now: Are we starting Scooble against the White Sox? And the answer is, eh, eh, no. I don't think so. Uh, I love what I've seen from Scuba lately as he's like kind of figuring out his off speed pitches and figuring out his way around major league lineups like in real time. We're seeing him develop in real time. It's it's kind of cool. But the White Sox are just not who you want to see across the diamond if you're a lefty. Over the last 30 days, the White Sox lineup has a 129 WRC plus versus lefties, even after all the injuries they've had to like their big righty boppers like uh, Robert and uh, Robert and uh, Eloy Jimenez. So what do we do with Scoobal? For deep leagues, he's reaching must-own status for me uh, in spite of the upcoming unfortunate schedule. Uh, this is going to vary from league to league. If you can afford to drop him and pick him back up in a week or so, I would do that. Or if you have room on your bench, I would just forget he exists for a couple starts after you pick him up. Uh, and it, it's really unfortunate because after that pair of Chicago starts, he'll get Kansas City, which is all systems go. And then after that, St. Louis, which is another team that kind of brutalizes lefties. So that St. Louis start for me is going to be dependent on how he does in these Chicago starts. But it's it's just a real, real unfortunate stretch of schedule for him because I'm really liking the way he's pitching in his past couple of uh, these past few starts. And the the way he's utilizing his breakers is just really encouraging for his development. 
So the slider has looked really, really good recently. If he has yes. it as like a reliable offering, it's he's going to be pretty sick. Like he's going to have very, very high strikeout upside for sure. Um, I just feel like it's going to happen inevitably. I do have him in one league. I just know that because I agree with you completely on the course of action moving forward is to be very cautious because like the White Sox just absolutely annihilate lefties. They've been doing it the entire season so far. I just know that I'm going to sit him against the Sox for that first game. He's going to pitch super duper well. He's going to go like seven innings with like 10 Ks, like one earned run and be like, oh, well, this gives me optimism for starting him the next time. And then he's going to go and get shelled the second time. I just know it's going to happen. I've been abysmal. Like I, I feel like I've been terrible at avoiding starts this year. It's like every time I bench yeah. a guy because I think it's going to be a bad start, they just go off. I've been very good on the podcast about calling out people to stream for sure. Um, but there's also been an equal, if not greater number of times this year where I have started people and taken big risks and gotten burned very hard for it that I did not recommend on the podcast, but I just needed to do out of necessity because I felt like I was falling behind so far. Well, our our totally official success rate, which is like 99.6%, I believe, at last tally, that's definitely official yeah, and accurate. Um, overall, we're doing okay. The data scientists over at PitcherList actually calculated that for us. Funny enough, uh, we'll get a spreadsheet up with all of our with all of our victories and our almost zero L's. Now we've had a lot of actually. My data scientist out. is is my goldfish brain that forgets all the failures <laughs> and just remembers the successes. It's how we remain happy. You gotta just you gotta do those, put those in a box in the back of the brain and just think about the good stuff. Um, speaking of boxes in the back of my brain, let's talk about Merrill Kelly. <laughs> i'm sorry I had, I had to do i had to do a segue somehow um no this is actually kind of legit that actually kind of was a real segue so i just want to talk about kelly so kelly was a guy who found himself on my radar last year he's a command first guy and in five starts last year he put a put up a 2.59 era uh le- leaning on a really heavy mix of his three different secondary offerings that he threw 15 percent or more of the time so that includes his cutter uh, his curveball and his changeup. So what's interesting about that is he actually went against the grain of what it feels like most pitchers have done in recent years, and he stopped throwing a cutter, which is definitely not the usual thing. Uh, opting to throw a blend of his four-seamer and his sinker a little bit more. Uh, and that was the first time he threw those two pitches in combination over like 45% uh, since he came over from the KBO in 2019. So he re-entered my atmosphere with a really out-of-character performance a couple weeks ago against the Dodgers, where he went seven innings. He gave up three runs, but he struck out 12 with no walks, which is absolutely insane. He earned the loss in that game, but the really, really crazy part about that start was that he had a CSW of 46 or more on three of his different pitches, which is absurd. That's a really, really good game. Uh, That's real good. Yeah. So he followed that start up with another decent start against the Giants where he went six innings and struck out six and walked none. I mean, just solid outing against two really good uh, divisional opponents. So I like what he has shown recently, but I really do not think it's indicative of what he's going to give you with regularity. 
he's a guy that lives on the edges with his repertoire. He's not going to overpower anyone. I think he's his average velo on his fastball is like 91.3 miles an hour. So he's not going to blow it by anyone necessarily. Um, so there's always chances that he ends up having games like he did against the Mets because he lives on the edges uh, where it was on like May 8th where he walked five or worse. He had two games earlier in the season where he caught too much of the plate and he got slapped around for six earned runs against both the Rockies and Nationals back-to-back games. Um, I'd really only feel comfortable nabbing him off the wire as a streamer in most of my leagues. And that's really only when he faces a super subpar offense. Other than that, I'm pretty much steering clear of Merrill Kelly for now, just due to the sheer variance of what he can provide from performance to performance. We, we literally just like, as we were preparing for this podcast, we watched a Merrill Kelly start uh, against the Mets. And uh, we watched him get kind of hit around by the Mets' two best hitters, Pete Alonso and Jake DeGrom. Yeah, he got slapped around pretty hard. It was pretty bad. Um, yeah, too much variance. I can't really uh, vouch for Merrill Kelly and say to uh, chase him and start him with any regularity. But if you do need a streamer, I mean, I think there's better ones out there. But if it's that dire, you can go for it. Just make sure it's against a pretty bad offense. All right, you you want to see how to do a segue? So Merrill Kelly last week, uh, when he started against the Dodgers and had that monster start, I benched him in several leagues, just like I did with this next guy this past start, Logan Webb. So okay, the last can, time, can I, I just got to stop you for a second. So I'm supposed to be the host, and you just did a better segue than I did, and that's, I mean. Are you trying to take my job? I'm fired. That's it. Are, no, I think I'm fired. I think that's what's happening. You can't quit me. I'm fired. Schwebzy, I need you to not give Nick a reason to let me go because there's someone better than me at my job. I really need you to like dial it back to like, I'm I'm like at like a six right now. I need you to dial it back to like a five. Just like, just be like a little less good at it than me. I live at five. <laughs> I live to be average. We, I mean, we live to be average, to be fair. Anyways, uh, Logan Webb, sorry. Logan Webb. <laughs> the last time we talked about Logan Webb was way back in episode eight, which again, Ooh. goldfish brain, that basically never happened. Webb has been a semi-popular breakout candidate for a while now due to his pretty outstanding uh, breakers and off-speed pitches. And it's a good environment down in San Francisco. We really like what they've been doing with their uh, pitchers lately. So Webb is coming off a start where fresh off the injured list, he absolutely befuddled the Dodgers, striking out seven in five innings while only letting up one hit and one earned run. This may have been the result of some pitch mix changes, which look like they could be fueling a breakout. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. Already this year, Webb has made some pitch mix changes from earlier in his career as he's dramatically lowered his four seam usage which is good because his four seam has never been really good. And to balance this out, he has increased his two seam usage, which is not good, but also increased his slider usage, which is awesome. I mentioned that Dodger start, and in that start, he utilized his slider 39% of the time, which is more than he has ever had before. And clearly it was to devastating results. This is one start after using it 34% of the time, which to that point had been the most he'd ever thrown it. So we're seeing a trend here. It's it's the the usage is rising. And that's not even just like with him, obviously. It's like the whole league is throwing sli- their sliders a lot more. And it's the most effective pitch in Major League Baseball right now across the league is sliders. Yeah. And but some guys are better capable of utilizing it than others. Yes. And we're seeing that here. 
this is really important for web particularly because that slider has gotten insane results, allowing a 186 Woba against this year and generating nearly half of his strikeouts with his changeup doing almost all the rest of the work. The pitch has a 56.6 whiff percentage along with a 40.3% CSW. Elite. This is a, tr- yeah, it's really an elite pitch if it continues this kind of production. So you can see why the pitch mix change is exciting. If you're throwing an elite, so you figure he's throwing his slider and his change up like two thirds of the time. That means yeah. most of the time the hitter is getting a pitch they really can't do anything with. And if that's not enough, Webb's next few starts will be against the Cubs, who strike out a lot, Washington, who are not good, and then home against Arizona, who are not good. This is a really nice stretch of schedule for a strikeout pitcher. The Chicago game presents a little bit of risk, but at this point, I'm picking him up literally anywhere I can, and I'm running him out there until he gives me a reason not to. This could be the start of a breakout, and I think we should be getting on before uh, before everyone else catches on. So can I just say something very quickly that I'm super happy about? Is, is it a subpar segue? It's not a subpar segue at all. It's actually about Logan Webb. It's that I got him in an auto new league for free. Someone traded him to me for free. Ooh. Because I agreed. It's essentially what I it was. Like free it's like, stuff. Well, it's like they traded me just straight up Logan Webb for no one because they needed to clear cap space and they clear more cap space in auto new if they trade a player as opposed to dropping them because they only get half the money back. I, I like a free Logan Webb. So I would I like took more a free Logan would... Webb. And I am very, very pleased with it right now. Like, I'm ecstatic with how that's turned out for me. Heck yeah. So that's just literally me bragging. But, I mean, I'm excited about these pitch mix changes. That's such a hard thing to say. So I already put the the car back in the garage, the little tykes. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. You were the one talking about gas mileage and gas usage, and then, come on. It's fair. We're trying to stay green here on In the Deep. Uh Speaking of green, someone that is newly acquired by the Tampa Bay Rays, JP Fireisen. Uh, Ed, that was a pretty good segment. Hey. I'll take that. That was pretty good. I stepped my game up a little. See, that's the thing is like a rising tide raises all ships. So we're just raising that's each a, other up, brother. That's what's happening. That's like, right a, that's like a six. That's nice. That was pretty good. I won't go any higher than that. We're not trying to like, get good. too far ahead of ourselves here. There needs to be more work room for hard. growth. We, we can't be peaking right now. It's only like two months into the season. It's in the it's in the deep, not like up on the peak. It's we we don't do that exactly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, JP Fireisen, uh, another Brewers old friend alert right here. Uh, I could obviously wax poetic about him because he's a former Brewer, um, but the thing that's really noteworthy here, I'm not going to go super super deep on him. He's received four separate save opportunities since he got traded to the Rays in the Willie Adamas deal, which is. Interesting, considering that the Rays are notoriously known for tossing their saves around and spreading them out amongst their bullpen. That's really, really unexpected. Ex- it's ex- it's unexpected, and it's really really exciting. Like I really enjoyed Fire Eisen when he was with the Brewers. He had a ton of uh, he had one save, but he also had a ton of hold opportunities when he was there. So he was a great asset to have, just like in a holds league in general. Um, but yeah, in his four opportunities so far, he's shut down two, and then he's also blown two. So it's been eh, a little bit middling. He's given up a few runs. He's had a couple rough outings. But what this tells me is that the Rays clearly think that he has the stuff to handle a high-leverage role, and they're okay giving him a trial-by-fire treatment early on in his tenure. Um, he's also only owned in 11% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues aggregated. So if you're trying to like find saves on the wire, he's your guy. 
he's absolutely the person that you should target right now. Um, even if he doesn't get a ton of save opportunities moving forward after blowing a couple, I think that eventually he will find himself back in a situation where he's going to nab a save or two there. And also, again, if you're in a holds league, he's just an easy ad for me. I love the Rays. They're like, welcome to the team. Now close this game against the Yankees. It's absurd, man. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. I mean, and also just, I'm just going to brag about the Brewers because I can, obviously. But just like having a guy like Fireisen, who I think actually does have the stuff if he wanted to, he could be a closer for a lot of teams. Um, but having like Josh Hader and Devin Williams when he's when he is really, really good, obviously he's hurt again. He got hurt again today. Uh, but then having Fire Eisen and then Justin Toba before he got hurt, they had so much depth in that bullpen. Um, but it makes me really happy to see Fire Eisen get that opportunity down in Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, it's it's nice to. Uh, I mean, it, it's the the rare trade that like worked out for both parties like immediately. Yeah, truly. How often does that happen? Almost never, and especially not when it's me in a fantasy league. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on to our last player, right? Yeah, last player we're going to get do do a bit of a dive into. Oh, God, uh, that there's a flashback. We did a sample episode with a pitcherless prospect manager, Trevor Huth, where I uh, oh, said we're going yeah. to dive into some prospects, which is a weird turn of phrase. But, uh, I think yeah. it was a dive deep. <laughs> That's what Something it was. Like that. I think you said it was a dive deep. But yeah, so clearly in in three months, I have not learned how to speak. So that's good. You and I both, brother. It's fine. (laughs) So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Spencer Howard. And I know this is not the first time I've mentioned him here. I am on the record as being a very big Spencer Howard fan. And this one is a little bit of a gut thing, a little bit of a numbers thing. He is a recent top prospect. Uh, You know, about a year ago, he was pretty much back to back with Ian Anderson on prospect lists and, you know, and lots of things can change once prospects hit the majors and teams handle pitchers differently. So their, their trajectories have been very different so far. Uh, Howard has made some early season relief appearances to mixed results, striking out a bunch of people, but also giving up runs intriguing, but not ideal. Now, however, he's starting and while getting stretched out, he's made two starts, totaling seven innings pitched with nine strikeouts and only three hits allowed, which is awesome uh, if I don't tell you any more. But he also walked seven batters in those seven innings, which is not good. I'm willing to chalk this up to nerves, nibbling, whatever, as he's never really had any control issues in the minors. He's always put up respectable walk numbers basically every year since he debuted in like rookie ball in 2017. What's interesting to me from uh, like his outputs is that he's getting a mix of contact management and also whiffs. So he's allowing a low exit velo, low expected batting average, and getting at least a 30% whiff percentage on all four of his pitches, which is awesome. There's a lot to be done here. He's still throwing his four-seamers like 70-plus percent of the time, which is really high, and we don't want to see that because it's been it's had good results so far, but I don't think it's that elite where he can get away with throwing it that much. And his heat maps show him seemingly not really knowing where his non-fastballs are going. But if you're in the market for a high upside, barely rostered player, this is the direction that I'd look. This is more of a monitor and or stash at this point. 
especially since his upcoming schedule is absolutely brutal. Like I'm not starting him anytime soon, but he needs to be on your radar. So I don't think like you said that he doesn't really know where his secondaries are going often. And like, that's not the type of thing where it's like, Hey, if I don't know where it's going, neither does the batter. (laughs) No, it's like, it's going right down the middle is what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, something that needs to be worked on, obviously I don't, and again, I don't know how good his fastball actually is, but yes, again, I think that being able to trust his secondaries more would obviously benefit him immensely. Uh, and he's someone that I've been looking at a little bit more too. Now, now that you've been stumping for him so hard, Schwebzy. So I think I'm going to try to get a hold of him in a couple of leagues and stash him for later in the season. Like, you know how, like when a starter goes to the bullpen or, or back, like you would see like a bit pitch mix change where like they might throw their secondaries more as they throw more yeah. innings. Absolutely. We did, We have not seen that at all with Howard so far. It's like all of his pitch usage has been static and it's the weirdest thing. Like I, I'm yeah. waiting for him to start throwing his, uh, his secondaries more. Yeah. And like you said, he kind of got jerked around a little bit. Um, and I think there is a little bit of something to be said. Like if you're brought up through an organization as a starter, right. And then getting shoved into a relief role and back into a starter role, Obviously, your routine changes quite a bit. I don't know if there's anything to be said about him not being able to get into a groove because he's been shifted around so much, obviously, and he hasn't been able to just be comfortable in what he's doing from day to day, much less game to game. Um, So I don't know if that has anything to do with it as well, but I hope that he can get into a rhythm and build up and kind of reach a peak. Yeah, so there have been some possible like stamina issues, some possible like prep issues when he was throwing out of the bullpen like where he couldn't like prepare like he could for a start. So it was yeah. affecting how he pitched. I I just really hope that throwing every five days will allow him to like let the talent show through. I think baseball players in general are just very much creatures of habit and having yeah. that routine routine in place is really, really important. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's all we have for our deep dives. We just have, we have a list here that we're going to run through super duper quick with some quick hits at the end of the show. Uh, Carlos Martinez is at 20%. So he's going to be graduating soon. Probably he's dead to us. Uh, He was already dead to me. Oh, Schwebsy. So rude. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Keenan Middleton uh, with uh, Kendall Graveman being on the COVID list. Obviously Middleton's getting some save opportunities in Seattle. So that's another one to spec on for saves. If you're looking for that, uh, Antonio Sensatella, some people, like very, very few, not many, have said things about him on Twitter. He's had good outcomes recently, but he's not worth your time. Do not chase him. Not worth it at all. Um, Ryan Tapera, he's been nails for the past few weeks. He's got like a zero ERA and like a .6 something whip. Uh, if Kimbrell stumbles or gets hurt in Chicago, definitely grab him uh, as like a secondary option for saves. And then also he's just gross. He's, he's probably not out there, but he's gross in holds leagues. The Chicago bullpen has been wildly productive this year. Like so, him, like, Andrew Chafin's been really, really good. Like they've been yeah. fantastic this year. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, and uh, how can you mention Ryan Tapera without mentioning MVP vote getter Ryan Tapera? <laughs> I'm sorry. I shall, I will use his proper name from here on out. If Put some respect on his name. I'll try to. I don't want to though because he's a cub. It's fair. It's not. It's not. Not in my nature. Uh, let's see here. Who else? Oh, Lucas Sims. He's got a couple of saves over the past few weeks. Uh, so maybe worth specking on us some save opportunities there. Although I think that, uh, gosh, Antone, TJ Antone. There we go. We'll likely get a few of those as well. Uh, Lucas or sorry, uh, Daniel Hudson 
has nabbed a few holds recently, has really, really good K ratios. He's worth an add in obviously all of your hold leagues. And then again, if Brad Hand, who has actually had like five saves over the past couple of weeks, he's been on a good streak here. Um, but he's looked he looked shaky early in the season. So if he falters at any point, Hudson might be the second one in line there. Um let's see who else. Who else do we got here, Schwebs? Uh, Mauricio DeBone, who gets more relevant by the day with all the injuries in the Giants lineup with Brandon Belt going down and now Evan Longoria experiencing some issues. Exactly. Uh, what we have written down here is Giants going to Giants. And that is really, really accurate because it seems like whoever they put in their lineup produces at least a little bit. Lamont Wade Jr. hit a home run for them today. Oh, wow. What that's even? A, that's, that's a, a deep that I cut. heard in a while. That, that's, yeah. that's even deeper than we go. And speaking of Giants, Austin Slater, We've limited about opportunities. So we have, uh, but he makes the most of every opportunity he gets. He's got like, what is it, seven home runs, five stolen bases, something like that. Yeah, well, he had like three uh, home runs over the past like two weeks, and he only had like 22, 23 plate appearances or something like that. Yeah, he's he's been really good in limited opportunities. Uh, G-Man Choi, another one that we brought up, but uh, needs to be on your radar. He's got to be graduating soon because he's on the team with the best record in baseball and he's anchoring the middle of their lineup right now. He's been fantastic. Uh, A couple other people that we have on here, uh, Vlad Gutierrez and then Matt Peacock. Uh, The last one, though, Jake Odorizzi. He's back and healthy now, but he's only 14% owned in most of those leagues. So he's out there and it's a guy that has a proven track record. So, I mean, there are worse options out there. Yeah, no, what I will be doing immediately after this podcast is going and checking the waiver wire in all of my leagues for Jake Odorizzi and hoping that he's been forgotten about. I think a lot of people probably have at this point. Um, uh, it was forgotten he said, by me. He said he had one start since his return, right? Yes. Yeah. What, like five innings or something like that? Or like four yeah, innings? it was a good start too. Nice. All right. Well, yeah. All right. I think that's all we have for today. A little over an hour. Not bad, Schwebsy. Not bad at all. We're back. We're back, baby back and went a little long we're back back and almost as better than ever i mean wait what back and continuing our slow decline (laughs) uh on that note thank you once again for joining us for another episode of in the deep we appreciate it once again if you want to have updates on when new episodes are releasing and just kind of get takes from us you can either follow us at our shared account for the podcast that is in the deep pl on twitter or you can follow schwebzy that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I on Twitter or myself at Bunt Singles. Uh, be sure to join us again next week for another episode at our usual time, which will be Monday at 6 a.m. And also join us on Sunday night for our Twitch stream over on Schwebzy's t- channel. That's twitch.tv backslash Schwebzy. That'll be at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday night. On that note, Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.